Talk to us about how you renovate a website. What we're looking for is websites that are making money, but there's simple stuff that we can do to very quickly increase that amount of money that they're making. These really quite simple things, and that's where web design comes into this as well, just understanding how people use websites and how they move around websites and how we can make them so that they have the best conversions they possibly can. And then also, of course, as much traffic, as many people visiting them as possible as well. James Schramko here from superfastbusiness.com and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Welcome back to the Productive Insights Podcast. The eBusiness Institute is committed to education for the future. They provide specific digital training courses that allow students to generate income online anywhere and anytime. Now, with the massive changes that are occurring in society and with the digital disruption going on, individuals are struggling with job and income security and are just keep trying to keep up with increasing changes in technology and in the economy in general. So today I'm delighted to welcome Liz and Matt Rad, who are the founders of ebusinessinstitute.com.au and we are going to be talking about buying and selling websites and about how to design a website effectively to improve it and how to create digital marketing courses that will help you along that process. And the long-term goal of what Liz and Matt and I do is to help you to grow your business profitably over time and do so in a way that is scalable. So welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, Matt and Liz Rudd. Thank you so much for having us, Ash. Great to be here. Thank you for being on. Thank you very much for having me on your stage. It was a real honor to, to be able to speak to your audience and very pleased to return the favor. So Matt and Liz, let's introduce this to our listeners and talk a little bit about what do we mean by buying and selling websites and how does a design course fit into this and what do you do in terms of digital marketing courses? So basically what we do and and for your audience, I think for, so for a lot of your audience, you're already in business. So that's a fantastic place to start from. So let's kind of come at this from a business perspective about sure. What we do, I think a lot of people, they look at the online marketplace and they think, oh, yeah, it's just all people sort of dabbling around and making little sort of side incomes and things like that. And and one of the things that we did very differently starting 10 years ago is we approached this with a real business strategy. We came into this saying, okay, how does this market work? How can we make a real business out of this? And also, how can we use what we do for offline businesses as well? So we kind of combine all three of those things and and what we do is help people get really focused knowledge because I think yeah. that's probably one of the biggest things. Mm-hmm. I don't know, do you find this where it is such a big marketplace, there's so seems like so much to learn, it can get yes. a bit confusing and quite overwhelming, I think, for a lot of people. So Absolutely. we should mention what we actually did. So basically we buy and sell websites. Mm-hmm. And these are money-making websites, and we've built up a whole portfolio. We've been very successful at it, and these days we teach people how to do the same. 
So it's, it's a lot a like buying and selling a property, right? You Absolutely. buy, and these are online properties. So yep. just like you would buy an old house and you would do it up, you'd renovate it, and then you'd sell it for a profit. You're doing something similar with websites. Now that will probably help our listeners just visualize this. Talk to us a little bit about that. Talk to us about how you renovate a website. So what we're doing is looking very much really, like you said, very similar strategy as property. What we're looking for is websites that are making money, but there's simple stuff that we can do to very quickly increase that amount of money that they're making. Generally, things like, I mean, sometimes it's very, very simple. We had one website where we bought it. Literally, there was just half the traffic, half the people were coming onto this website never saw the offer. And all we did was put two little extra banner ads, like image ads on those pages to drive them through to the pages where the offer was being made. And that website went from an almost doubled its income in days. So that's the sort of thing that we're looking for, these really quite simple things. And that's where web design comes into this as well. Just understanding how people use websites and how they move around websites and how we can make them so that they have the best conversions they possibly can. And then also, of course, as much traffic, as many people visiting them as possible as well. So that's the two main things that we do to websites is we tidy them up so that people can see the offer, that they can click through or take an action that will make money, and then we drive more traffic. A couple of little hacks I want to share as well. First of all, I interviewed our common friend Greg Merrilees in episode 19, and he's good with designing websites and he shared some good suggestions, particularly around designing a website around conversion, which is what you're Mm. alluding to. One of the things you mentioned was don't have unnecessary stuff on your website, try and have as few elements as possible, but enough elements to Mm. be able to maximize conversions. And if you have too many options that can confuse your visitors, uh, I'm not quoting him verbatim here. So, you know, it was a long time ago when we had that conversation, but bits of the conversation stayed with me. I learned a simple thing about landing pages very early on in my career in the online space. And that was a landing page should ideally have only two options. If you're trying to say, have increased opt-ins, for example, for people opting into your list, either they can enter their email address in there and sign up to your list or they leave. Mm -hmm. In other words, you don't want to have points of leakage. Like you don't want to have a menu item at the top of that landing page You don't want to have other things the person can click on because any of these things are going to distract them from the one offer you're making to them on that landing page, assuming it's an opt-in page, which is, would you like to download this five-step framework to blah, 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 or in my case, the nine-step framework for business growth, and nothing else should be available to them on that page. And I think you're saying something similar in terms of trying to drive people to the offer and making the offer easily accessible and obvious rather than having it tucked away in the corner. Yeah, exactly. That's just one of the renos that we do on websites. What we're trying to do is we're looking for those opportunities out there because we've got a lot of experience online, been doing this for a decade or so. We can go out there, look at websites and go, there's a really good opportunity here to do a quick renovation and buy this thing at a good price. Then we can renovate. Generally, we double the profits on most of the sites that we buy and then hopefully we sell them later on down the track. One thing that I, I think maybe listeners need to realize we're not talking small websites here. We've just, Uh one of the case studies that we're working through at the moment with our students is a website that was bought just three years ago for $20,000. Yes. Okay. And it was just sold recently in the last couple of months for $15 million. 
and all they did to it, Ash, you would be absolutely amazed. It was just content. They were pumping out really good articles. The whole thing was run with minimal staff, um, and it was all run on an Excel spreadsheet. That was it. Wow. There was nothing complex. It was just pure, exactly what we teach in our course, just adding content. So a lot of our, in this day and age, the main work that you do on these websites when you buy them, if you buy a good website, realistically, all you're doing on it, once you've optimized it, is basically just adding content. And so it's a really powerful strategy for anyone listening. If you've got a website right now and you want to fix it up, I can guarantee probably one of the best things you can do is just start adding content on their good content. So talk to us about that. Tell us what you mean by content. What's good content? Give us a bit of background. Tell us about this. What sort of industry was this particular client in? A lot of my audience are business owners, but they tend to be more professionals, say coaches, consultants, that you know, uh, HR consultants, HR specialists. What's important is the sites that we're talking about here that, that we teach people to go out and buy because this is what we buy are affiliate or AdSense or or advertising style websites. So that's in, mm-hmm. that's in, they're not websites that are service based and they're not e-commerce. They don't have any physical product whatsoever. All they are. Uh, so basically, this is why this strategy is so beautiful and so simple. It is literally just information websites that sit on the website and they rely on traffic coming to them and then people take an action and then you as the website owner get paid. So that's why they're passive as well. Presuming all your audience will know what an affiliate website is where someone uh, reads a review and then buys a product and they're tracked. So I I actually have one of my members in my membership program, which you can find out more at getmetodone.com, shameless plug. One of my members is exactly in this space. She has a website that writes about strata property and she has two customers. One customer is the people who pay for advertising and the other customer is the people who come to read Perfect. the content. So that yeah. sounds exactly, exactly like, you know. So they're the sort of What, did, what sort of content did you produce for your customer that helped them to go from 20,000 to 15 million? There wasn't. This is a case study. This is a case study that we're working through. This is a friend of ours that sold this. What we generally teach is you pick the market that it's in. Say it's in the pet niche. These are in simple niches too. This is this was a basic. We're not allowed to say because of confidentiality. Of course, the, the of course. site or anything, but it's just a basic standard affiliate site. And so it might be in say the pet niche or whatever it is. And basically, you get writers to write articles around mm-hmm. pets and all the different angles. You do keyword research to work out. Mainly what you're looking for is what are people asking online? What what are they getting on the computer, especially in this COVID time? Everyone's on the computer yes. now. It's a brilliant time for doing this. Absolutely. But people are researching. And basically what we're looking for is we're just answering questions. We're out there helping people. So you've just got to put on your, what do we call it, sympathetic marketing mindset. Yeah. yeah but yeah. Our, job is, our job is to make people's lives easier. And I think yeah. for all your guys, anyone who's in coaching or consulting or anything yeah, like same, that, if you're writing a website and you want to grow that website with content, you've got to think about the questions that your ideal customer are asking and you yes. need to answer those questions. And so that's how we focus our content. We always get in the mind. We always create a customer avatar and think yes. about who's coming to this website. What are they actually wanting to know? Yes. What is it they're typing into Google? And how can we make their life easier? Mm. Right. Um, Absolutely. So in my nine-step business growth mind map that I give away, that's one of my pieces of flagship content, step number three is get really clear by drawing an empathy map. So in addition to Perfect. drawing an avatar, you yeah. create an empathy map. So avatars are great. It helps you to understand who your audience is and a day in the life and so on. But an empathy map 
helps you to understand what your customer is saying, doing, feeling, hearing, thinking. And ideally, if you do it before they buy your product, while they're using a product and after they finish using a product, that gives you a map of the journey. And I want to just share a quick little insight that I got from talking to Joe Polizzi in episode 75. He's the founder of Content Marketing Institute. And he said, you've got to create content to meet your customer where they are on their journey. So I said to Joe, Mm. correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you're saying is if I'm manufacturing washing machines and I create content about how my washing machine is the best in the world and it's made of surgical steel and it will last for a lifetime and all that sort of stuff. Meanwhile, Matt is out in the market to buy a washing machine as the first machine he's bought. And he just wants to know the difference between a front loader and a top loader. And so he goes into Google and he types in front loader versus top loader and mm-hmm. up comes this article on General Electric's website that gives him this chooser and tells him, you know, how many people in your family, how often do you wash, do you have delicate wash, et cetera, et cetera, and then recommends, okay, Matt, you need a front loader because mm-hmm. of blah, 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 and you need four kilo, a four kilo washing machine, blah, blah, blah. And it happens to be sitting on General Electric's website, who's Matt going to buy his washing machine from, right? The point I'm trying to make here is if you do the empathy map, it takes you that much deeper into your audience's journey and it might give you that nuanced insight into the problem they're facing, which may not be the problem you think they're facing. And I think this is how Steve Jobs came up with the thousand songs in your pocket tagline. Mm. And he entered a completely commoditized market of mp3 players which were in his view ugly and you know they didn't follow his zen uh you know design principles and so on but more importantly they were talking about how many megabytes or megabits of space meanwhile the listener also the audience and he empathized with them because he was a music lover too they just want to know how many songs don't tell me how many megabytes tell me how many songs and the in your pocket personalized it and then yep. he came up with another tagline, no more moving parts or no moving parts, because the Sony Discman kept jumping. And so I think that empathy really goes a long way towards creating compelling copy and offers. Yes, yeah, and, and the content. And so what, right. I guess, yeah, so what, that, what that relates to around your audience and, and what they can do with this, not only, I think what we want to do is open your eyes to the idea that don't, not only can you do this for your own website, you can actually own a portfolio of other websites and do that because in any market we've got incredible tools where we can do that process. We can look into the minds of of the people who are searching and understand what questions Mm. they're asking and we can become experts in pretty much any topic on earth very, very quickly these days. So, so Ash, just before this podcast, I did a call with some of our students there, ex-school teachers, the two of them, and they've just thrown in their jobs in the last year and they've bought a big site and now they're, they've got a world-leading affiliate site on power tools and they knew <laughs> wow. nothing about power tools. Like Rosemary's a, a, a music teacher and yet this is how they're making their money off power tools. They're making this is a, a very big website. and Yeah, so that's it, it, that's the wonderful thing. I think it's, um, it's opened up a whole world of opportunities to people especially if, and that's the thing, when you've mastered this skill, um, exactly what you're talking about, Ash, um, putting together a website and being able to understand how to get the right content mm. on there and put the offer in the right way and structure it in the right way, that's very powerful, valuable knowledge that yeah. you leverage now into a portfolio that you actually don't have to go into debt for. And that's the the thing that we yeah, love most about this because, 
you know, we've come through the property market as well and we've invested in property and, you know, you have to come up with a lot of money to get into that market and own an asset. And I think that's one of those things going forward that we've seen people really struggling with in the market now. They don't have the money or the ability to borrow that yeah. much money to buy a property and it's not really looking great for the property market at the moment anyway. Yes. So for a lot of our students, that's why they do this is because they think, well, I, I need a portfolio. I need to leverage somehow. And now this, you've got this online boom going on at the moment. You've got yes. searches doubling. We've got so many of our students oh. now calling and saying, oh, my God, I'm so glad I'm online because their businesses have doubled over yeah. the last few months. So, so it's our a pretty guys, exciting time. Our guys are all in. flat out. All our students, like yeah. especially those that are doing it full time now. So we yes. get them all to start out small and buy little tiny websites under, under $5,000 yeah. and then they step it up. But even if they – some of them just – that's what they're comfortable at. So if they buy 10 websites and they've all kept them well under $5,000 or under $1,000 even, they're creating six-figure incomes off hmm. just a very low capital okay. base. So, so let's so, talk about social listening, which I think is what you're alluding to when you're saying really understand the questions that yeah. your ideal customers uh, are asking. And in episode 116, I spoke to Brian Clark about humanizing your content. And this is an important element. He, I don't know if he talked about it on that episode, but he does talk about social listening. So you can listen on Twitter. You can check, you know, you can use tools like Quora.com, Q-U-O-R-A.com, answer the public, yeah. what runs where. There's all these tools that allow you to listen to your audience. One I find particularly useful, actually, to get the actual languaging that your ideal audience is using is to go to Amazon and look for books that are written on your topic, mm. whatever that topic is, and then look at the one-star ratings and look at the five-star ratings. And in both instances, the reviews will probably, in most cases anyway, will allude to the problem the book solved in the case of the five-star ratings or yep. the book didn't solve in the case of the one-star ratings. But either way, you'll find out the pain point that the audience is having, and mm -hmm. then you can often use that languaging in your copy. The other place that's worth checking out is to go to udemy.com. You can go and check out the most successful courses because there's millions of students on Udemy and yeah. you can actually look at the curriculum of the course of the ones that are most successful and that will also give you some suggestions around what questions need to be answered or what you should create a content yeah. around. Yeah. Do you have any similar suggestions as to how people can find out what content to create to increase the value of their website? I mean, well, we used to use Answer the Public a lot, but uh, that's become a paid tool now. So a lot of the tools we recommend, we like to be able to recommend the, the less, like the, the free, ones. free ones or the relatively low-cost ones. Um, we do use paid tools like Longtail Pro and um, SEMrush and, and Ahrefs so because that's a really great way to find those more long-tail keywords yes. and ones that actually have, what's that stat? I think is it? 40 or 50% of Google searches yes. uh, every day are new, have never been seen before. So right. there are, uh, there's this phenomenal number of ways that people are searching. So yes. uh, using tools like that do uncover a lot of those really much longer tail or Google AdWords keyword yeah. tool. That's, a, that's, that's, probably, that's probably the main one that we use ourselves and recommend. So for me, I do a lot of keyword research okay. and I use Ahrefs or SEMrush. And then, but I still love to this day just the good old fashioned free Google um, yeah. keyword tool. It, yeah. It's Have really you... good for um, the suggestions. 
Yes. And for getting into the head of your client. Yeah, that what, ad what groups, they, the way it puts it all into ad groups as well, it, it shows you how Google's thinking about the topic. And it's almost like seeing the chapters of the book according to Google on a particular topic. Yeah, so that's well. always interesting to see. Have you guys tried Morning Fame? I've been doubling down on my YouTube channel and Morning Fame is pretty good to help you to figure out what the gateway videos are. So other videos that are uh, of a similar size to your channel uh, uh, that are performing and then you create keywords around those. And then there's another one called TubeBuddy. So if you have a YouTube channel, that might be something worth thinking about. And also, of course, you can use YouTube as a, as a ranking tool because if you create video, it's... I believe, more likely to rank than written content. Is that right? I'm still a big fan of written content. But these days, I've got to admit, we use a lot of video now ourselves. And All it's a, transcribed, so you, you transcribe it. And then you, you do like the Gary Vaynerchuk idea. You shoot a video. You can cut it up into – you can use it like five times, six times. We get excerpts made up and you put it on your social media profile. You, yeah. you do the transcripts. You can SEO that. Video is awesome, and I agree with you, Ash. I think watching what's happening in SEO land, video and YouTube in particular, that's why mm. I bought more shares in Google recently, actually, um, <laughs> right at the, in March. Nice time to buy it, but I suddenly realised, you know what, there's there's a lot of underlying upside here with what Google want to do with YouTube, yeah. and it is starting to become more important in our world of SEO yeah. and, and things like that, mm. and I agree with you. I think over the next few years, I mean, the stats already are just mind-blowing, the amount of time that we're spending on YouTube now. But you're right, it's going to be the – it's already the second most important search engine on the planet. Yes, yes. So, and, and it's owned by Google. I'll, I'll tell yeah, you a, a, a little funny story. Our common friend, Mike Rhodes. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, he, he kind of uh, sent me a message on Facebook at one point and said, hey, dude, do you know you've been published on Digital Marketer's website, which I didn't know. I, I, they'd asked me for – my view on the 2020 trends and I'd given them my view, but I didn't know it had been published, but Mike had been published on the same article. So I went and checked out the article, but I was more interested in what Mike had to say, I obviously knew what I was going to say. And I talked about actually the rise of voice, interestingly enough. Uh, yeah. But in that article, Mike talked about how things may not be like they are right now in terms of third party tracking and so on. And I thought that if that does happen, and Google has to jettison their algorithms or certain ways in which their algorithms are, are working through tracking and so on, they can actually fall back on YouTube and they can comfortably jettison the traditional Google search and still use YouTube as a major search engine. And the other benefit that YouTube gives Google that you don't necessarily get, that Google doesn't necessarily get from just their written indexing is that Almost 100% of the content on YouTube is consumed on YouTube. Even if it's consumed on your website, it's usually embedded. Google retains the eyeballs. And if you've noticed lately, Google has been not been redirecting traffic to a lot of the searches. They, they're using snippets. They're solving a lot of the searches on their right. own assets. Yep. So I'm feeling, I feel like YouTube is going to satisfy a lot of these things that Google is trying to achieve. Yeah. yeah. It'll yeah. be interesting it's to see. Yeah, so we're all going to have to be marketing on YouTube. <laughs> that's well, my, that's my theory. Video, having a video strategy is well. With the sites that, we, that we're buying and selling, and in general, we, we look when we do our research before we buy them, when we're doing our due diligence, we're looking at the search engines to see what's ranking in that niche because typically we buy sites in niches that we know nothing about. 
Yeah. And we'll often see, okay, it's either a big heavy content niche or it's one where lots of YouTube videos are ranking. So we know already before we buy it, okay, if we buy this site, we're going to have to do lots of YouTube videos to keep the rankings up and stuff like that. And the cool thing is you can outsource that. Okay. Okay, let's talk about metrics. What sort of metrics do you tend to look at when you're deciding whether a website is growing and heading in the right direction after you've bought it and you're looking to you know, yeah. level it up? So in terms of, well, of course, Google Analytics is our best friend. Um, <laughs> we live and breathe yes. on Google uh, Analytics. But, you know, the essence of what we're looking for, we're looking at, and, and this is the same in due diligence as well, when you're looking to buy a website, what we're looking for is a website that's uh, steady or growing and, and has that potential to grow, some renovation potential. So the things we're looking at on analytics are, of course, um, the traffic stats, the numbers, the qu- uh, number of sessions, number of page views, but we are really looking at the engagement. So we want to know, is this website something that people are actually enjoying? Are they getting the answers that they are looking for and are people engaging with this website? So time on page and um we're looking at engagement, bounce, rate. bounce rates, so how many people are getting there, jumping straight back off, as opposed to how many people are moving deeper into the site. And um, so that gives us a really good indication of the quality of the content on that website. Of course, we do check on the site as well. We read the content to make sure that it is quality content. Uh, but that's another reno opportunity as well. So if we do find a site that some of them we find are performing despite themselves, like we'll right. see this terrible, like not terrible content, but fairly oh, average content, we, and they're still performing okay. And so we know that's a nice reno opportunity because we can quickly and easily tidy that up. We're looking at the titles and the headlines and seeing have they got good keywords in them? Are they engaging as well? Are they interesting titles and headlines and, and description, meta descriptions? Um, so there's that's one of our first sweeps through a website is just to check all that. The other thing, of course, we need to check is the backlinks and how that backlink profile looks because we don't want a whole lot of spammy backlinks coming back to bite us <laughs> later yes. on. So, well, we just need to know what the, yeah, the previous owner's what's done. Yeah. But the, the Google Analytics is really important. One of, the, one of the key things you're asking, like when you take over a site, what are the metrics? One of the key things we're trying to do, we're typically buying websites that rely on, say, advertising. So those typically will have a very high bounce rate, People, which yes. means people Relatively high, yeah. come on there and click off, which is a good thing on the one hand, on this hand, that's good, because presumably they're clicking off on your ads. But for SEO, on the other hand, what we want to do is get that bounce rate down. So we'll buy websites that have 90% bounce rates. Um yes. That's perfectly okay, but what we do is we then renovate them and we're, our goal is to create really engaging content so that that bounce rate goes down and we re, we might retweak the website, just putting simple navigation items on there so that then hopefully people, when they've read that first article, they, their action is they click on something and they go deeper into the website and that's yes. how we can move it up in the rankings. And that then builds over time. It snowballs in Google because Google, Google watches that stat very closely and if you're the time on pay on time on site and your bounce rate is improving, you yes. can get a really really big win with your yes. website. And it's one thing I'd encourage anyone listening is look at your content and look at your Google Analytics and figure out, okay, are people engaged on this site? What's my average time on page? Average time on I, I look at thousands of websites literally. Yes. The diligence probably on probably look at more websites than anyone here in Australia. Um, yes. Just also through our clients and we work with lots of website brokers. And nearly always, I would say 
very rough rule of thumb, but if you're listening, look at Google Analytics. Most websites, I see the average time on page is anywhere between a minute to two minutes. Yes. So if you're getting four and five minutes plus and you're in a service industry or you're a coach, that's really, really good. It means you've got okay. very high that's engagement. very helpful. So, yeah, so anything over two minutes is an age in this day and age <laughs> online. I, and, I and specific a... content too. You look for those specific pages. You can see within your site, if you've got one page, it's getting five minutes of engagement, of, of time on page. You go, ooh, Zero that's, in on that. that's You're captured on a hot people. Topic. That's a hot topic. And you might want to okay. expand on that. So if you're listening, it's really important, especially if you're a coach or you're a service um, person or you're, you're, you're using your website to generate leads and you, and you want to engage people, make sure you've got Google Analytics installed, be looking yes. at it once a month, check it out and look at your time on page and look at those pages that have a high time on page. And just remember what I said, anything over a minute is pretty good. Anything over four minutes is really, really good and you're onto something hot. That's the other good thing about video too. <laughs> That's very yes. helpful. And yeah, if, if you are listening to our YouTube channel, is youtube.com forward slash productive insights. I have a question for you, Matt. Go for it. In episode 200, I asked Seth Godin this question, and I'm going to ask you the same one. A long time ago, Seth had suggested in one of his blog posts that you should write every day, to which I responded by email and said, ah, but you know, if I write every day, are people going to read it? And his response was, just begin, pretty much two words. So mm -hmm. I just began. And that month in November, I think this was a couple of years ago, I wrote every single day for that month in November. Now, my average time on page before I started writing every day in November was about two minutes, which that's wasn't good. great, but yeah, that's good. That's about two minutes. Yeah. After I wrote every day for that month in November, my traffic went up fivefold, but, wow. but my average time on page dropped to something like I don't know whether it was seven or 14 seconds. I can't remember. Ooh. And I was devastated. I thought, what's going on here? So I went into my Google Analytics and looked at the number of hits that were less than one second or something like that. And it was massive. So oh, the logical conclusion was it was bots coming in and checking out yeah. the new yeah. content and just, you know, yeah. sussing out the site and leaving. So I just felt really disappointed because a lot of the new traffic, I assume, what bots was that? Is that right? Google that... Analytics should be filtering that out. Sometimes it does get it wrong, but um, that is unusual. It, that that sounds like an anomaly to me, which suggests bots. That's the sort of thing that we look for in due diligence. I know there's that's. Yeah. I'm coming back yeah, to that. But it. seriously, like I just said, I, I do a lot of due diligence on lots of websites, and when that yeah. when I see that sort of a thing, I just think that that's unusual. You know what? And so I would go if deeper into your Google human. Analytics, and it, it you'll often see that. As Liz just said, it doesn't look human. Well, no one's going to check out our site for less than a second. It doesn't yeah. even make no. sense. So, so what we do in that case, so let's say in due diligence, if we saw that happening, what I'd be doing is running reports and looking specifically at those pages of the, that you had published and seeing if it's restricted, if the low time on page is purely restricted to those pages, but the rest of the site, yeah, okay, still. Um, so I'm always trying to break that down. Okay, what exactly, this is that problem solving. What exactly is going on here? And I'll compare pre that to post that and, and I will look at, yeah, specific pages and really try and drill down into exactly what's happened in that situation. So I'd be yeah. fascinated to see that. Yeah. Did it actually recover in the end? That's the question. Yeah. Did it change? Well, it's hobbling back now. I've stopped publishing content every day. Since mm -hmm. then, uh, maybe that wasn't the best idea because 
the practice of writing every day was good. And hey, I may be not looking at the right data as well. There's also that possibility because yeah, I'm right. not an analytics expert. So it's quite possible I'm just looking at the wrong thing. But when I last checked, it was back to about a minute or so, which I'm still very unhappy about. <laughs> don't don't be too um, upset about it. Have you still got some pages in there that are higher um, engagement pages? Yeah, so, you know, the, the page with Ryan Dice is getting a lot of visits. The one with Perry Marshall is getting a lot of stuff. And yep. a lot of my content is on YouTube now. I'm just taking the transcription and putting on the website for the yeah. SEO. Well, that's a really – that's actually a really good point there, though. When you do repurpose content – um, and maybe you're doing this already, but for anyone who is doing that, ideally what you want to do when you repurpose that content is still give that double readership path. And sometimes transcripts can be a little bit messy and they don't yes. they don't read well. So we yes. actually get our transcripts. When we publish it as a blog post, we actually get it rewritten, like as in someone goes through it and actually fixes it so that it reads well because often, yet, yeah, like you said, the spoken word is – a little bit different and oh, absolutely. Doesn't, it doesn't read well sometimes and sometimes they still include the ums and the ahs and they include absolutely. strange sort of hiccups in what we've been saying. We might suddenly change topic and also there's no readership path. So we always put nice headlines. We break it up into paragraphs, mm. put headlines all the way through so that it still is good quality SEO content. So that may be another reason if, if you want to put video transcripts on there to get that really powerful SEO well, boost. I think it's worth it. Do you get good ROI on that, though? It comes down to the investment of time yes. and or money, right? That's right, yeah. And it, it depends on depends. the site. So for a site like eBusiness Institute, yes, that's worth it to us to do that. But for some of our other affiliate sites yeah, and things like that, it. it's probably no, it's not worth hey, it. Hey, Ash, maybe they're clicking off and going to YouTube, though. So it would be interesting to look at your analytics and see what's the exit page that the they're going to, where, things, where yeah. are they going to, yeah. and also have your YouTube video um, views, gone, views up. gone up on yeah, yeah. The, those articles. Happy to, I'll, like, I'll be happy to have a chat and show it to you if mm. maybe later or something. Happy to do that. One more thing I wanted to suggest. What about Hotjar to look at how people are behaving when they arrive on your website, you know, some heat mapping kind yeah. of software? Yeah. I'll, I'll be blunt about it. We used to do that sure. a lot. We we had Crazy Egg on there and all that sort of stuff. Um, we stopped using it because really we didn't need it. Not for the sort of sites we own. No, we didn't need um, it in the end. And and also we found that those programs, especially Crazy Egg, sucks a lot of bandwidth and it slowed down the site. It was a lot of draw on the website, oh, which okay. we're really uncomfortable with. And our techies were looking at it too and we all just said, I, I can work out good enough stats on this site. And yeah. I agree though, it is useful on some sales pages to work yes, out. Yes, definitely sales where, pages. So see. we might do it temporarily, but for us these days, it used to be a big thing for us, but these days, no, we don't We do not do that. And especially on sites, if we've got AdSense sites or um, yeah. the affiliate sites, you get to know over time, you get to see what are the, what are the configurations that work well and yes. we'll do that. And we'll always be testing, like we'll put... Um, even just to the point of like it's people get ad blindness. So on a site that's always had its ads over on the right hand side, we might just say, okay, guys, tech guys, put all the ads on the left now. Gotcha. For, yeah, that's and a very it will simple... actually spike the spike the income for a while because the people who are regulars gotcha. who have gone a bit blind to the ads suddenly go, oh, <laughs> and they kind of get shocked yeah, yeah. out of their out of their okay. dream and and click on the ads. In terms of site speed. What is a good site speed? How quick does it need to be for it to be ranking well on Google? 
Good question. It is interesting, actually, because we've got plenty of sites that don't have great site speeds and they're still ranking. So I think it depends on the niche. If you are in a very competitive niche, if you're in a niche where like news or where everyone expects things instantly and everyone in that niche, all the sites are AWS, accelerated web pages or, you know, they're, they're full on then you need to match them. And it, it really ma- it really goes by the niche. If everyone in your niche and all those keywords that so, you're targeting are, are fairly standard blogs and, and not accelerating their pages, you can get away with not so great site speed. But still, obviously, site speed is a really important factor. Well, let, let's give now. the official answer because we, we've yeah. been lucky enough to, to have met on numerous occasions oh, Gary, yeah. Gary Isles from from Google. He's the head guy on this stuff and he's quite technical. And he said, generally, this was at a private meeting, like conference that we're at with him. And he said, generally anything up to like under two seconds is fine. That's, that's, is it two seconds? To that that first render. For the first render. And so they're not outright looking, even though publicly there's a lot of information out there saying your site's got to load super, super fast. And the, I would recommend the, if you can do it. If you can, yes. but the reality is. I thought four is, seconds was acceptable. Um, no, too, it's now down to, this has changed. Every year it drops. <laughs> so he made a comment on that, Ash. It was really funny. He laughed and he said four seconds used to be acceptable. Three seconds is is is, okay. is kind of where 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 most people are, but um, two seconds is what we really like. And what he said was if your website is for millennials, he goes, you want it well under two seconds because they're just so far. And he was laughing. So how do you get your site to load in four, in two seconds? I mean, what do you do? Just take it, off it, half the site? What, what, it's a yeah. really interesting question. Just recently I noticed in the SEO press out there, Google, and I think Gary's come out and said, as long as it's rendering okay, we we recognize you can't get it under two seconds easily. And for What most does rendering got, mean to our listeners? Uh, so when you... So when a site loads, what it can do is there's a few ways that it can load. So initially the page can try and get all the content before it actually shows anything. So it will show blank until until your device has actually downloaded every piece of content that it needs to get. And that can take a while. So what you can do is put plugins or programs on your site so that instead of it trying to get everything, what it can do is just grab the logo and a little bit of text to start yep. and it'll render that first gotcha. and it'll, then it'll gradually put everything else in underneath that um, just so that there's something that comes mine up. Is, mine is woefully slow. It takes four seconds and I can't get it below four seconds. That's, that's and, and the fastest so they can do. Okay. So don't, and don't I'm with worry. WP Engine. I'm, I'm with a reasonably good okay. host. Yeah, that uh, WP Engine are awesome. So that's fine. Don't overly worry because, seriously, um, I think it's Gary who's just yeah, tw- he tweeted we it realize. out. He goes, we realise in this day and age, reality is um, what we're really after is we just don't want websites that are getting painful mm. for people that are hanging and stuff, um, even though we will tell you you've got to make it as fast as possible. And there's this mad race on an SEO world to make your website super, super fast. Google, it's interesting. I, I think the impression now is, hey, folks, that it's not – quite as critical as everyone thinks it's important though so don't get hung up get a techie to look at it but wp engine is, yeah, is if, mean, if, you, if that's the best you can get with wp engine i think you're fine and you've got the minifying of, of css and all the you know all that sort of stuff done just get yeah, your techie to look at it. that's that's the thing i probably need to have the website redone at some point but um it depends on your theme as well so you may have a theme that's that's not allowing that's it to really render small. quickly yeah so 
that's something worth asking you, Tiki. I will do. Okay. One last question about metrics and we'll move to the next thing. Uh, what's a good website authority score? Oh, good question. Um, what we tend to, when we're buying anything yeah. over, so, you know, everyone's got their own authority score. There's the Moz one, there's the uh, Keyword Finder, there's the HREFs. They've all got their own way of scoring it. Um, generally, anything over 20 um, we consider as something that's good. got some decent authority to it. That's a good foundation to build on. Um, you know, obviously, I'm going to jump in there. Yeah. I actually don't care. If I'm buying a website, it's about the deal. I don't care what the DA is. It's interesting, but I'm there to. We've got. It gives you an indication of quality. But if you're buying a small, backwards. if you're buying a small niche site, you can buy small niche sites that make yeah, thousands true. of dollars a month with DAs under ten, and they're fine. And then what we do is we take them over and we we just we build them. on that. We improve on them. So when you're buying sites, it's not. It, it's a fun thing. To look, it's a good thing to look at. It's nice to go. Wow, cool! I'm buying a, a high DA site for a bargain price. But it depends what you're buying. If you're buying a micro niche website and you're looking for a bargain and you want it cheap, say under five thousand bucks, you're not going to find a high DA, a high domain authority website. Yeah. If you're spending fifty thousand dollars or a couple of hundred grand or a million dollars on a website, then yes, DA becomes really important because that's mm. what you're buying. Yeah. But so it, it all depends on what on what you're buying. But for me, so sometimes we will deliberately buy poorer quality websites because we know what we're doing and yes. we can renovate that that's the opportunity out there when you know what you're Absolutely, doing yeah yeah i was but thinking it, more in terms of if you know a person listening to this wants to figure out where they are in terms of their own oh, domain authority okay, you know, okay. yes are yeah, they yeah. are they like woefully bad like cnn is what is it 97 uh, or something yeah. Um, yeah. facebook is 98 and then neil patel is about 69 or 70 or something like yeah. that and then your average website is what about ten or fifteen or something like 10. that? Yeah, ten. But then once you get into the, if you're in the twenties and the, certainly in the thirties, you're getting some some good solid domain authority. For an average Remember, website. it is logarithmic um, DA, yeah. so um, it is harder to jump from um, twenty to thirty. Twenty to thirty than it is to jump from ten to twenty. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's not it's not linear at all. So, but it does. It is good. I'm dumb. not going to say what mine is, but because I'm a bit embarrassed, but it's well above what you said, so I'm happy about that. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's well, you good. should be proud then. That's, That's fantastic. Good. Yeah, that means it's a real and a high quality site, and the links and the people who are linking to you are high quality. Yeah, well, I've got. Uh, I've, I've been fortunate enough to get links from Copy Blogger and a few other people. Yeah. So yeah. that that helps Digital Marketer as well now because I would publish yeah. there. So we're going to talk about. The biggest challenges people face when it comes to buying and selling websites at a profit, and then we're going to go into action steps, and then we'll talk about how people can find out more about you. So what do you see are the biggest challenges or most common challenges people face when it comes to doing this successfully, and how do you help people overcome them? The big one, because it's buying a website, is learning how to do due diligence or having a good due diligence checklist. So That's what I expected you'd say. Yep. Probably the number one thing. And then the number two thing is what we help people with is making sure they're confident online with how the online how online websites work and what you can do with these websites once you've bought them. Yeah. Because we we do work with a lot of absolute beginners who okay. you know, have no experience online and we take them from that zero kind of knowledge through to being able to buy a website, renovate it, manage it, run it, and have and have do this full time. And do this full time. And so, coming so full circle, that's that's where your digital 
courses and your yeah. design courses, digital marketing courses, that's where all that comes in. Yeah, yeah. And you've met a bunch of our students who are yes. really successful at this and you, you know some of them specifically and, you know, you think their backgrounds, they were complete beginners, those guys. Yes. And, and so that's the main when you, it's a really good question. The main hurdle for us in teaching, so for us, it's easy what we do. So our main hurdle is teaching people, is just getting them the digital skills, getting that, I guess you call it digital literacy. Yes. Once we've got that with someone, then it's relatively easy to teach them the website due diligence process. They kind of fit like a glove. And the, the first hurdle, believe it or not, is just getting that digital literacy. How does yes. a website actually work? Yes. Once we've got that, I, I think, in my opinion, it's pretty easy for people. Cool. Okay. So we're going to go into action steps now, and then we'll talk about more about how our listeners can find out more about you. So just a quick recap. So we talked about what buying and selling websites are, and we compared it to renovating a home. We then went into talking about a few tools like Answer the Public, What Runs Where, SEM Rush, HREFs, etc., to give yourself the ability to develop better social listening skills and understand long tail keywords, which by the way, if you're not familiar with long tail keywords, they usually are phrases really. So rather than mm. a, a, a word that would be a keyword, for example, dog training. Yeah. Let's say dog training. A long tail keyword might be dog training for poodles with no tail or something, something really, you know, really specific. And usually, as Rand Fishkin explained in one of the episodes when I had him on, he said long-term keywords usually imply greater searcher intent and therefore greater buyer intent. So if someone is typing in dog training for poodles with no tail, they probably have a poodle without a tail and they're ready to buy the dog training. So long tail uh, keywords are important and you can learn about that from tools like the ones we mentioned, SEM Rush, yeah. HREFs. Long tail pro. Yep. Long tail pro. Um, KW Finder is another one that's coming up, coming up the ranks Finder, and, yep. and it's not too expensive. And Neil Patel has also re- released Uber Suggest, which is free at the moment. I don't know if he's going to monetize that. He's probably monetizing that in the back end because... He's getting a lot of traffic from it and a lot of page mm. time on page from it. And then uh, we talked about uh, Google Analytics and the importance of steadily improving it over time. And we talked about engagement and time on page. These are important metrics and these help to measure engagement of your audience. Uh, you mentioned, Matt, that Hotjar isn't Hotjar and any heat mapping tools aren't as useful as they once were, or you don't think that's useful? Not for us. Oh, not, not for, for us. you. Not for, for other people, they are, but yeah. not for yeah. us. Please. Four to five minutes plus in terms of time and page is very useful. It's a sorry, a very yes. good time and page. Two good minutes point. is decent and respectable. Less than that, you want to be working towards that. In terms of domain authority, ten is kind of on the low end, but you can still be profitable and get a lot of turnover from a domain authority of 10 but if you're at a domain authority of above 20 or 30 you're doing pretty well you're at a respectable level and it's a logarithmic kind of uh, scale so it's like being a 100 meter sprinter to shave off that last tenth of a second of your of your sprint takes a lot more effort so always keep that in mind site speed you want to be at two seconds ideally but rendering matters which means you want to load your logo quickly and at least get something to your viewer ASAP. We also talked a bit about YouTube and the importance of considering YouTube as an SEO strategy or a complementary strategy to your SEO yep. approach. 
And then the biggest challenges you said were doing the due diligence. And I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but helping your people to know what they don't know. So usually when you go out to buy a website, you don't know what you don't know. And so you come to Matt and Liz and Matt and Liz will tell you, okay, here's what you need to find out. Here are the, here's a checklist of questions you need to ask. Even if you haven't heard about websites in your life where you don't have a clue, Matt and Liz will work with you as a beginner and tell you, okay, here's a list of questions you need to go through to find out what you don't know. And then you need to answer these questions to decide whether or not to buy the website. And it's not Mm. necessarily that all the answers have to be 10 out of 10. It comes down to ROI, which is one of the most important things. And if I put my CPA hat on, ROI is more important than cost. And I thought, you know, accountants tend to always think in terms of cost and it drives me nuts because if I, I would rather pay $5 million to make a $10 million return because to me that is cheaper than paying $100 to make a $50 return, assuming both are guaranteed, right? So it is not just about getting really high results in that questionnaire. It's about if the website doesn't tick all the boxes in the checklist, that's fine. Is the price adjusted to that? result yeah. would you agree yeah. with that matt and yeah yeah absolutely yeah that the, the due diligence the website due diligence checklist is there exactly what you said and also it's for us then to decide on the risk level it basically just shows us the risk level that's sitting in the site and then it's up to your your personal and where those risks lie yeah where so you can decide lie. okay yeah. well maybe if it's got a if it's got some spammy backlinks or something happening there and we decide all right can we fix that? Do we Is that within our realm of capability to fix that or change that? If yes, then all right, yes, that, yeah. that deal might go ahead. If no, we might need to reduce the but, price a heck of a lot. Yeah. And that brings us back to finance 101, right? Low risk, low return, high risk, high return. So if, if, if they are asking you to take on a lot of risk in terms of buying the website, they're going to have to pay you more yep. to, to be able to take that on. Yeah. And, that, and that's what I was just about to say. So it, ultimately, that website due diligence checklist, in a way, when you think about it, becomes our negotiating tool. Yeah. That, that's how we know, well, okay, there's a bit of risk here. So we, you're asking $20,000 for this website. We only want to pay you $15,000 or yep. $10,000. And we'll tell the sellers why. Yes. Um, so that actually bring back for your audience too, that's a really important thing to know for if you ever want to sell your business yes. or your website Ooh, good point. because you need to know what the buyers are going to assess as the risks in your business. Yes. And if you can address those up front and put in place things that negate those risks or reduce the effect of them, yes. then you're going to get a better price when you sell. So well, that's you know, really important to remember as well. You know, I did a series with dear friend of mine, Carl Taylor, in episodes 192, 193, and 194. And in that series, we talked about considering selling your assets as pivot, as a protect, pivot, and profit strategy in this new coronavirus environment. And one of the things that came up in that conversation was when you're selling a website, always think about it from the buyer's point of view because your Mm. website may be worth very little in your opinion. But if your buyer has an asset to which they can add your website and would add massive value to that existing asset, your website might be worth a lot more to them than it is to you. So don't think from your own perspective. An example might be... Perfect example. Yeah, go for it. Young Joe, one of our students, he built a website to learn how to build websites with us. Yes. Got it to making two or $300 a month. And he just left it for a year. Yes. Because he learned on it. 
and it just kept making two or three hundred dollars a month. Yes. And when he sold it, what did he sell it for? Twenty-two thousand dollars. Right. Exactly. So there's a website that would because if is, somebody has a complimentary website that is teaching yeah. them how to, I don't know, maybe they're teaching them digital courses, and then this may be a nice add-on to that. That yeah. asset is worth a lot more to them. So the important lesson here is to understand that the value of the asset is a function not just of the asset itself, but also the, a function of the person buying the asset. And the same applies to the product as well. Your pricing is not just a function of the product. It's also a function of the market that is going to buy your product. That that insight came to me from a, a, something I'd done long ago when I did my MBA. And I, I asked Carl what he thought of that. And he said, absolutely, that's, that is exactly how yeah. you should approach selling your, your website. And I'm yep. guessing you you guys would agree with that too. Yeah, exactly 100%. the same, yeah. yeah. We, cool. we, and we're always telling our students, think with the, the end game in mind. That's yes. what it's about. Okay, so, so we've got a student right now selling a very simple website. It's, it's actually, it's all about cheese making. It's just a yeah. hobby of cheese making. And because of during Corona, it's just gone nuts. Yeah. Like, well, not, yeah, it's gone up quite a lot. And, it, and it's making about, what is that making? I think that's making. Um, it's only a small one. It's only small. Like it makes $500 a month or something like that. But they're, it, they're getting a record price. They've already been offered $10,000 for this upfront cash. And they think they'll probably sell it for around $15,000. There's, there's lots and lots of people wanting to buy this side. But it's because we put in the work early and I've, we've got them to set up all the KPIs, set up nice spreadsheets showing exactly what it does, get it all ready for sale. And then it was timely with COVID. Um, so we've been preparing it over the last six months. And then it was timely with COVID. And these guys own lots of sites. It's just one of their small ones. It's too small for them now. But because they've prepared it properly and they've always had in mind even a couple of years ago that they were going to sell this thing off, they're going to reap the rewards now for it because normally that site would only sell for 5000 bucks. Yeah. Okay. So now if you're listening to this on iTunes or any of those other channels, we're on Google Play and I want you to uh, watch this on YouTube and listen really carefully and watch what I'm saying. If you want to buy or sell a website, you've got to talk to Matt and Liz first. Okay, talk to Matt and Liz first. So Matt and Liz Rad, Ash. <laughs> yes, Matt and Liz Rad first. That's so how right. do they find out about you guys? Um, best way is, I mean, we are on YouTube, we are on um, social media, but ebusinessinstitute.com.au and you can actually do our free training there. So we take you through our step-by-step process of how we buy a website and the sort of websites that we target, how we renovate them. And so we give you a really good overview and step through of that whole process so yeah before you even go and start looking at websites and get excited and get in the marketplace i'd highly recommend you watch that free training and that will get bring you up to speed very quickly and we lay out our step-by-step strategy and where you buy them how you value them how yep. much how you basically do the due diligence on them the sort of things that we're looking at yep. um that's all on that website ebusinessinstitute.com.au okay. and can they email you or will they find some kind of contact form on that website Sure, there's a contact form on there, but if you want to email us directly, directly, <laughs> they can email Matt, matt at ebusinessinstitute.com.au. Okay, and, cool. Yeah. Well, that's very helpful. Is there anything else you guys would like to add? Now's the time to get out there. Oh, we're, yes. we're, it, the, the world has changed dramatically, and I think it's, it's definite proof to us and I think to everyone that you need an online business of some kind. So whether or not you're buying websites, we also teach how to build websites, 
But I think it's a no-brainer to have websites as valuable assets replacing traditional real estate and shares and businesses, which we invest in still, but adding to. But at the very least, if you're listening to this, presumably you're really interested in the online space and hats off to you and get yourself educated and, and own assets. Don't just own your own business online. I would start expanding it. Hopefully today you've realized, oh, wow, we can actually buy other assets. So you can own a whole portfolio. You might own a dozen or so different website businesses that are passive because they're only going up in value. All, all these assets are going up. And all our friends and clients who are doing this are just flat out. Where This is the yeah. busiest we've all ever been. And our websites are going up in value dramatically. So I think for the future, it's a really valuable asset class to be looking at. Okay. So that's Matt at ebusinessinstitute.com.au or you can check out the course at ebusinessinstitute.com.au. Now, if you haven't already subscribed to the Productive Insights YouTube channel, I highly recommend you do. You can find out about it at youtube.com slash productive insights. Thank you so much for being on the show, Matt and Liz. Awesome. Uh, Pleasure to have you on.